Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Let's open the Word of God together. I want you to find the Psalms, if you will. We have been walking through the Psalms on my uh, daily radio program and podcast, and I've had such a good time in the Psalms. It's just been refreshing to my own soul. But I want to bring you to one of the longer Psalms. It's Psalm 107, and it's 43 verses long. I'm only going to show you the opening verses of Psalm 107, but it is an amazing Psalm. And on your own time, I hope you'll read it and meditate on it and make it your prayer. Uh, One of the things that marks Psalm 107 is in every way it is a testimony psalm. All the psalms are different. Some are prayers. Some are uh, the imprecatory psalms, praying against the enemies. Some are psalms of confession. But Psalm 107 is a psalm that truly is a testimony song. It was the psalmist's testimony. It was Israel's testimony. And I am glad to tell you it's my testimony. Look at Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Thank God for that. Look, if you've got nothing else to be grateful for, be grateful he's good and his mercy endureth forever. You ought not be more grateful for the blessings than you are the blesser. Don't be more taken with the gifts than you are the giver. So go all the way back upstream and let every good thing in your life remind you of the goodness of God. Verse 2, when I stop, say the next two words out loud. Ready? Let the redeemed of the Lord, that's what I want to speak on in these next few moments, say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. That sounds pretty desperate, doesn't it? Oh, look at verse 6. Isn't it wonderful when God steps in? Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Would you read verse 8 with me? Everybody read it. Ready? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Would you notice, please, that he began, verse 1, with O, and like bookends here on this little section, in verse 8, he, he begins, verse 8, with O, O, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And by the way, that verse is repeated in verse 15 and verse 21 and verse 31 over and over again because we ought to keep on praising God. By the way, just a little footnote, you think everything in Scripture is there on purpose? God does nothing by accident? What's at the end of verse 8? Somebody tell me, what's, how does verse 8 end? Yeah, I'm not looking for the word. I'm looking for that little thing that looks like this. Whoop, boom. You know, what is that? An exclamation point. It means that the psalmist was excited about something. Did you know the word enthusiasm comes from two words, in theos, that means in God? If anybody has a reason to be enthused, it's anybody who is in God and God is in them. And I just want to tell you, I think God's people ought to be the most excited people on planet Earth. I'm going to tell you why. We ought to be excited about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God's about to do. I got a text message this afternoon when I got back to the hotel from a 
a young uh, businessman back east, and he watched our service here today. He knew where I was, and he watched our service, and he texted me when he finished it, and he said, I just want to text you and say, it's wonderful that God lets us live right now. And I thought to myself when I read that, that is not the average of what I'm hearing from most people right now. Most people are bemoaning how bad it all is and how terrible it is. And I'm going to tell you, this is the greatest day in the history of the world to be alive. <laughs> Look, this, this is the greatest opportunity Christian people have ever had. And God lets you live in this generation, in this nation, at this moment. You think that was just coincidence? No, no, my friend, you're here for a reason. Why are you here? You're here to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Take your pen and circle those two little words in verse 2. Would you please say so? And I want you to say them with me. Would you please? Ready? Say so. No, no, say it with an exclamation point on the end. Ready? Say so. Good. Turn to your neighbor, your partner, and tell them what I'm preaching on. Ready? No, no, no. I've heard people in nursing homes do better than that. I want you to put your heart into it. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Good. So what are we supposed to say? You know the number one thing I hear from people when you talk about witnessing? I just don't know what to, you know, what join the club. You would imagine that after all these years of studying the Bible and teaching the Bible that it would be easy for me to talk to somebody about the Lord, but may I just be really transparent with you and tell you it is easier for me to stand on a platform and speak to a 1,000 people than it is to strike up a conversation with one stranger on an airplane. You know why that is? Because there's something in all of us that recoils a little bit from wonder what they're going to think, wonder what they're going to say, and heaven help us, wonder what they're going to ask. And I, I'm not sure I know exactly what to say, and so we take a little step back and we, we say nothing. Can I tell you what's really tragic? We're living in a world where everybody's speaking but God's people. They're riding in the streets. They're parading through the town square. They're carrying their banners and shouting their creeds. And I wonder, pray tell me, where are the followers of Jesus Christ? Because anybody ought to be standing up and speaking up. It seems like it probably should be the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Did you know that outside the gospel itself, I'm talking about what's right here in Scripture, the gospel message itself, the most powerful tool you have is your own personal testimony. I said to you this is a, a testimony psalm. Well, it's fascinating because essentially what the psalmist is doing, he's just rehearsing the goodness and mercy of God in his own life and to his own people, to heathen people, so that they will come to believe on the same God and love and worship the same God. Let's make it real simple, all right? You thought tonight you were going to come in here and I was going to give you some magic formula, some special seven-step plan to lead someone to Christ. That's not what I'm going to do at all. No, in fact, I'm going to cut right to the bottom line and tell you that the easiest way I know to witness is simply to praise God to somebody else. Instead of you trying to get into a debate with somebody and convince somebody about something and answer every question they've ever had, why don't you do this? Why don't you just stop and say, look, I, I know you got questions, and I don't know if I can even answer all those questions, but let me just tell you what the Lord has done in your life. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Did you know that is something people can't argue with? Look, they'll, they'll turn down your literature. They'll argue with your statements. They'll say, our church doesn't believe that. I didn't grow up that way. But when you look at them and say, can I just tell you my story? See, everybody's got a story to tell. 
my story's not yours and yours is not mine, but everybody's got a story to tell, and for the record, nobody can tell your story but you. And when you begin to tell your story, your testimony about the goodness and mercy of God in your life, I have found that many people that will not take a track and will not take a Bible will listen to you tell your story. Why? Because it's personal, and it resonates with them, and it connects to them. So when you start explaining to them the goodness and mercy of God in your own life, really what you're doing is you're just praising God, but instead of the praise going this way, the praise is going this way. And you're talking about the goodness and mercy of the Lord in such a way that it makes them want your Christ. Did you know there's nothing more beautiful than a happy Christian? Nothing. There's nothing about the Christian faith more attractive than a Christian that's satisfied with Jesus. You can build all the buildings you want, you can start all the programs you want, and you can preach the greatest sermons on earth, and that will not bring most people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you let them meet a real Christian whose life has been changed, who's still aglow with God, and that, my friends, will bring many to Jesus Christ. Old Gypsy Smith said God wrote five gospel records. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and the believer. And then old Gypsy Smith said, most people will never read the first four. That's exactly right. So there are many people that aren't going to start by coming into a meeting like this meeting, but if they met you somewhere and recognized there's something different about your life, well, wait a minute, now I'm interested in this. I was, I was thinking a moment ago, and I, got a, I kind of got tickled a little bit because I got thinking about that man that, that Jesus healed. Do you remember? And they were trying to ask his parents how he got healed and all that kind of thing. His parents said, I don't know. He's old enough. Ask him. He can speak for himself. By the way, everybody can speak for themselves. Everybody can. So they go to the young man and they say, well, tell us, who is this man? And what do you think about this man? And I love it. He finally just threw his hands up exasperated and said, I don't know. I don't know how to answer all your questions. But one thing I do know, I used to be blind and now I see. Maybe that would be a good place for us to start. Or to say what was said to Nathaniel, I can't answer all your questions, but come and see for yourself. What is that you're simply testifying about the goodness and mercy of God in your life? That truth is woven all through the, the Scriptures. For example, in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus delivered a demon-possessed man. Remember that? And what was the first thing he said to do? Go home and tell your friends how great things the Lord hath done for you. Those shepherds, they saw the angels in Luke 2, verse 17, and they heard the good news. And what did they do? The Bible says they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They just told what they heard. Or how about the apostles who could not help but speak the things they had seen and heard? Or how about Peter and John that said to that beggar, I don't have much, but such as I have, give I thee. Or how about, how about John writing in 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Or how about Paul saying in Romans 1.16, so as much as in me is, I am ready. See, God's not asking you to give what you don't have. He's simply asking you to share what you do have. And that, my friends, is your story. So let's go back to our passage, shall we? What is it we're to say? You got your pen handy? I'm going to give you three things, and they all come straight from the text. Three parts to your story, three parts to your testimony, three things you ought to say so. Number one, would you write it down? You ought to say first that you were lost. See, people got to get lost before they can get saved. And so you ought to begin, now listen to me carefully, not by telling them that they are lost, but by telling them that who? You were lost. You know, sometimes we have this tendency after we've been saved for a little while to forget that if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all be in hell or on our way there. 
So we start looking at people, and we start talking, and we would never say this. We would never say this, but our tone says that we're up here and they're down there. No, friends, we're all just black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners. You know what you're looking at tonight? You're not looking at an evangelist tonight. You're looking at a sinner that deserves to be burning in hell. And I'm looking at a bunch of them. But we're not there, and hallelujah, we're never going there because Jesus saved us. Wait a minute now. Don't lose the meaning of the word lost. Remember what it was like before you got saved. How many of you remember what it was like before you got saved? All right, well, look at the description here. He says in verse number 2, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So here's something that you were before you were saved and you were lost. You were in bondage. You are bound by the enemy. You just did what the devil wanted you to do, what your flesh told you to do, and you were in bondage to sin, but the Lord redeemed you, literally bought you back. He set you free. We talked about that earlier today on the Lord's Day. Look at verse 3. The Bible says he gathered them out of the lands from the east, the west, the north, and the south. So notice this, please. You were not only in bondage, you were scattered. Oh, I love this. God's work is always a gathering work. Sin's work is always a scattering work. Sin scatters, God gathers. The Lord brings you home. The devil drives you away. The devil stomp a man when he's down and drive him in the ground, but Jesus picks him up in mercy and grace. So we, we were scattered. Look at verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness. So you were wandering. You were, you were purposeless. You were aimless. You were, you were looking. You were searching. Notice this, in a solitary way. That's alone. You were alone. Oh, you may have been surrounded by people, but without Jesus, you're terribly alone. That's what it means to be lost. Somebody said, I don't know exactly how to say I was lost, all right? Tell them you were in bondage, that you were scattered, that you were wandering, and that you were lonely. That's a good place to start. And then notice this, they found no city to dwell in. Oh, I like this. You had no idea where you were going. You had no destination. Can I stop and testify for just a minute while I'm teaching you? I know where I'm going now. I have a city to dwell in. The Lord's building it right now. We're all going to be there soon. There's a family reunion planned at the Father's house. I hope you're going with us. We know the city. This world's not our home. And then notice, please, in verse number 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. I was hungry and thirsty. I needed something. I was empty on the inside. I was fainting. I was perishing. I was lost. Number one, if you're going to give your testimony, you better back up. And you better tell them there was a day in my life that I didn't know Jesus. See, before you can introduce them to Christ, you got to identify with them yourself and get them to identify with you. Otherwise, they think you're some, some kind of super Christian they could never attain to. And we're living in such a secular world. Can I give you a recommendation too? Don't use a bunch of religious jargon. Somebody says, well, let me tell you how I was born again. There's nothing wrong with that. I like that. But you're going to have to define what born again means because for most people, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So in simple, plain terms, tell them I was lost. Let me give you a couple practical thoughts on this. Don't glorify your sin. Some people, when they talk about their life before Christ, they go into every dirty thing they ever did and every awful, vile thing. Let me tell you what that does. That exalts the devil, not Jesus. So don't lift up your sin and talk about your sin. That's not the point. This is not where you're going to stop. This is just where you're starting. You're saying to them, look, I'm lost without Jesus. You're lost without Jesus. We're all lost. We all need a Savior. So you begin with sin, and then you move from sin to salvation. So here's the second thing. Would you write it down? If you're going to say so, not only do you need 
to say you were lost, but number two, you need to say you met the Lord. You met the Lord. Did you know everybody gets saved the same way? Everybody gets saved the same way. Somebody said, no, preacher, no, my story's different. No, it's not. Geographically, you may have been in a different place. Age, you may have been in a different place, but everybody gets saved the same way. Here's how everybody gets saved. Everybody look at verse number 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Let me tell you how everybody gets saved. Old Testament, New Testament, ancient culture, modern civilization, everybody gets saved the same way. They all realize they are sinners in trouble without God, and they realize only Jesus can save them, and they call on the Lord in faith, and God delivers them. Everybody gets saved the same way. When you give your testimony, don't major on the minors, major on Jesus. Would you hear me with your heart for just a moment? Your story is actually not your story. It's the story of Christ working in you. I hear some people tell their testimony, and they talk more about themselves than they do about Jesus. That's dangerous. There's only one thing the Holy Spirit will bless and use. That's when you lift up Christ. You can talk about you and what's happened with your life till you're blue in the face. That won't save anybody. But if you can tell them Jesus loves you, he died for your sin, he was buried and rose from the dead, he wants to come live in you, now that could change somebody's life forever. Tell them how you met the Lord. I would say that the first part of this, your life before Jesus, the time when you were lost is probably the most um, the most misunderstood thing. People want to just talk about every bad thing instead of getting to the bottom line. I would think that this second part is the most important thing. If I had to major on one thing, I would major on Christ. For example, if I gave you my testimony, I could say this. It was a Wednesday. It was, it was about 11 o'clock. Uh, Miss McKinney was there with me. I could, I could draw a picture in your mind of the room I was in and where I was sitting in the back of the room and, and how she sat down with me and how I felt and on and on and on and on. And I've heard people give testimonies like that. And after a while, you almost get the idea you had to be in that room to get saved. It had to be 11 o'clock in the day. You know, people give all these details. You know, I got to chill up my spine. The birds were whistling Dixie. I mean, there just all these things going on. But is that really how you got saved? No. No, how you got saved is you realized you were lost, you needed the Lord, and you called on the Lord. And Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Keep it simple. Stop making it so everlasting complicated. In fact, when I tell my testimony, what I do, I try to share my story in such a way so if the person I'm talking to has never opened a Bible, has never heard the gospel, when I'm done sharing my story, they will have heard the gospel so plainly that they would know enough Bible truth that they could call on the Lord for salvation. You weave the gospel message into your story. I did that the other day on the airplane with that man that I, I told you about this morning, Gene. And look, he, he wasn't... When he sat down, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for me to have a Bible study with him. He wasn't interested. He just wanted to argue and, you know, talk to a preacher for an hour. That's all he wanted to do. But by the time it was done, I said, Gene, could I tell you how God changed my life? He said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. And as I shared my story, I watched his countenance change. It's amazing how God can, look, this is the way the Lord works person to person. As you begin to tell what Jesus did for you, it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to get an entry point in that person's heart and mind. So number one, tell them you were lost. Number two, tell them how you met the Lord. And number three, 
Don't miss this one. Tell them that it changed your life. Would you look at the next verse, verse 7? And, don't you thank God for the and, that it's not just getting saved? And he led them. <laughs> he led them forth by the right way. It doesn't mean I always go the right way, but praise God, he always goes the right way. And he always leads me in the right way. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, I love this. Remember, a minute ago, I had no city. Now I've got a city of habitation. Hey, friends, I know where I'm going now. And not only know where I'm going, God leads me and guides and orders my life every step of the way. If the first part of this is the most misunderstood and the second is the most important, I would say the third is the most neglected. I'll tell you why. Because when most people share their testimony, they get through how they got saved and they stop there. Let me ask you a question. Is that the whole thing to you? It was just a decision, a prayer you prayed 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 10 years ago? Or has Jesus Christ made an actual change in your life? Now, I tell you that every good testimony, write this down, please. Every good testimony is present tense. It is not past tense. can't be history. It's got to be present tense. Do you know why every good testimony is present tense? Because God is a present tense God. His name is not the I was or the I will be. What's his name, church? I am. So is the Lord with you right now? Is he giving you peace and joy? By the way, a little practical suggestion. Don't give people the idea that once they get saved, come to know the Lord, life is perfect and everything's, everything's roses. Because the truth of the matter is they were going through the wilderness when the Lord led them. They had the battles and their struggles. We all do. What's the difference? I said to my friend the other day, 30,000 feet, I said, Gene, let me just tell you, the greatest thing was not a prayer I prayed 38 years ago or even that I could say to you, I'm going to heaven someday. Can I tell you the greatest thing is Jesus is with me today and he's changed my life. What are you going to say to that? How are they going to argue with that? You know what this world's looking for? In a world full of cheap substitutes and a whole lot of fake, in a world filled with Instagram filters, let me tell you what people are looking for. Something real. Something genuine. And I'm going to tell you where they ought to find it. They ought to find it among the redeemed people of God. How many of you know you're saved? All right, then let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. When was the last time you said so? Not in here. See, when I even use the word testimony, everybody says, well, yeah, every now and then we have a testimony meeting at church. I'm not talking about in the four walls of this building. Most of the sinners aren't in the four walls of this building. The testimony has to be given out yonder where the sinners are. The Great Commission does not say, open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find us. The Great Commission says, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. It means we've got to get out where the sinners are and wherever they are. Let me tell you one thing you ought to be constantly doing. You ought to be saying so. Has he changed your life? Then say so. Does he answer your prayers? Then say so. Does he ever show you something from the Bible? Well, say so. Are you excited you're going to heaven when you die? Then say so. Are you glad that your life is not bound by what's going on in Washington right now? Then say so. This is the moment for God's people, if ever there was a moment, this is the moment for God's people to begin to give their testimony. You know what Jesus said his ministry was? He said he came to testify of the Father. That's interesting, isn't it? He had a testimony ministry. If I ask you, what was Paul's ministry? 
Some of you say, oh, Paul, boy, he was a flaming evangelist and an apostle, and he was a church planner. Let's let him testify for himself, shall we? Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to, anybody want to guess the next word? Testify the gospel of the grace of God. Seems like if that was Jesus' ministry, maybe it's supposed to be our ministry. And perhaps the greatest ministry of all is a testimony ministry. And here's what's really exciting. You ready for this? You don't have to be a preacher to testify. You don't have to be a good public speaker to testify. All you got to do, just tell your story. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to any man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Paul was an educated man. I'm telling you, he could have debated with the best of them. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew the religion better than they did. And yet every time he was called on to speak, you know what he did? He said, well, let me tell you about what happened on the road to Damascus. I'm talking about after all those years, standing in front of Agrippa and all the rest of them, you know what he want to talk about? Let me tell you about the day I met Jesus and how he changed my life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, thousands of sermons, more, most read-after preacher in history. Did you know if you read the writings of Charles Spurgeon that in his written sermons, he shares his salvation testimony over 300 times? Oh, what's wrong, Mr. Spurgeon? You don't have anything better to talk about? Nothing better to talk about than how Jesus saved me. See, never get over the wonder of it. That's why some of us in this room, you, you witnessed more in the first six months after you got saved than you had the last 20 years. You know why that is? Because when you first first get saved, you're so excited. You want everybody to know. You can't wait. You can't help yourself. You want everybody to get saved. And then somewhere we become professional Christians. Spit, shine, and polish. We know all the hymns. Hey, man, we know the Bible inside and out. Yeah, and the problem is we've lost the zeal, the exclamation point, the wonder of it all. We're not saying so like we ought to say so. You want to have a Holy Ghost stirring in this community? I'm going to tell you how to have it. Don't have a guy like me come through town and preach. You go out this week and let every person in this room start talking about Jesus and the difference Jesus has made in their life, and I promise you there'll be some divine stirrings in this community. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Two or three years ago, I was preaching in a men's conference. A great group of men, and at the end of one of the sessions, almost kind of off the cuff, I just said, hey, why don't some of you go back home and find somebody that needs Jesus and just tell them how you got saved. Maybe that's all you know to say, but just tell them how you got saved. I didn't think much about it, frankly. About two weeks went by. My phone rang. I answered it, number I didn't know. And the guy on the other end of the phone was coming through the phone. He was so excited. I mean, he was just, you could hear the exuberance in his voice. I said, who am I speaking with? He said, this is Kenny Asbury. He said, you don't know me? He said, but I was at the men's conference a few days ago, and he said, I was in the session that you did. At the end of the session, you said something about sharing our story. I said, yes, sir, I remember that. He said to me, Brother Paul, he said, I, for many, many years, have had a ministry in our local nursing home. And he said, every week, I go there and preach and teach and have Bible studies and prayer meetings. And he said, I, I've tried to win people to Christ. He said, I've led a lot of people to the Lord there. He said, but there was one elderly man in our local nursing home that was in his 90s, and he said, for the last 10 or 15 years, I've been trying to reach him for Christ. 
He said, I've given him every gospel track I could get my hand on. He said, I've read the Bible to him. He said, I've, I've pressed on him his necessity of salvation. He said, I have talked and said everything I know to say. And he said, finally, I just thought, I don't know if this man's ever going to get saved. He said, the other day, when you made that statement, he said, it was like an arrow from heaven. He said, the Holy Spirit said, you're supposed to talk to that man and tell him your story. He said, I got home and I was under such conviction about it. He said that I got out of my house and I went down to the nursing home and I went into the room that I'd been into dozens of times trying to get that man saved. He said, I pulled a chair up next to his bed. And he said, I chit-chatted for a moment. And then he said, I said to my friend, have I ever told you how I got saved? And he said, the old fellow looked at him and said, no, I don't think you've ever told me that. I'd be interested in knowing. And he said, I just started at the beginning. He said, I told him what a dirty sinner I was and my life was such a mess. He said, I told him about the day somebody told me how good God was and how much the Lord loved me and what Jesus had done for me. He wove the gospel in through all of it. And he said, then I told him how I called on the Lord a simple prayer and asked the Lord to save me. And Kenny, he's laughing and crying at the same time telling me the story. And he said, when I got done telling my story, he said, honestly, he said, I felt like, well, I've done what I'm supposed to do. And he said, I looked up, and that old fella had tears in his eyes. He said, I've been trying to get through to him for years. And he said, I said to my friend, well, would you like to do that? And he said, I believe I would. And he said, that moment, he said, that old fella bowed his head and called on the Lord for salvation. I'll never forget what Kenny said to me. He said, Brother Paula, it works. He said, if you just tell them what Jesus did for you, God begins to work in them. Would you say it with me? Let the redeemed of the Lord what? Father, help us. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.